Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Good morning, church family. Hope it's been a a good week for you. Have we all acclimated to the sub-freezing temperatures? Come to terms with that white stuff back in the forecast. uh, Has anyone started playing Christmas music? Did that inspire to get that? All right, we have a few. Good deal. Joy to the world. I know Wes is pumped up as we've been talking about our, our Christmas season and so excited. December the 8th is when we launch our Christmas series and really excited about what the Lord is going to do in us and through us as we celebrate His coming. We're going to be moving through a series that's called The Way Home, but it's a pathway into the presence of the Lord, and it's a prayer path. Each week will build on itself, and hopefully it's a path that you can take with you for the rest of your life in terms of um, just walking with Christ, and so excited for that. If you would, be thinking about someone around you who may not have a church family to worship with, and Christmas is that perfect time to say, hey, come worship with us at Westbridge, and each weekend we'll have a, a unique flavor, but we'll be centered on our Lord and just the joy of, of His coming and the opportunity to, to dwell in His presence. Well, next Sunday is a huge day for us, one of the big days as a church family as we celebrate Thanksgiving together and just let the overflow of our gratitude for all that God has done for us um, just go out in praise as we worship the Lord, as we receive from Him and His Word, and then as we give in our Thanksgiving offering. And this is our Thanksgiving offering is that one time a year that we give above and beyond Back to the Lord to fund a variety of compassion projects, as Pastor Tyson mentioned at the start. But really what matters most is an opportunity just to give from out of love and devotion from our heart to the Lord for all that He's given us. And I was reminded of this this week during my chair time. I was working through uh, reading Second Chronicles chapter 1. And we all know of Solomon, heard of the wise, this man, wisest man to live. And the reason is, God said, Solomon, ask whatever you wish, for you wish, and I will give it to you. And he asked for wisdom to rule the people. And God said, well, because you've asked for this, I'll give you what you didn't ask for, the wealth, the power, and everything else that, that most of us would think about asking for. Well, what I did not notice about that story was that Solomon's heart coming into that. Now, he was young, and he, he felt like, okay, I have all this responsibility But bigger than that, as he comes into that moment, or that moment is really the outflow of something that happened earlier where when the people of God, Solomon went to worship, and when the people of God in that day, Israel, would go to worship, they were to go bring in an offering. You never came into God's presence empty-handed. And one of the offerings was a burnt offering. And it was what you would offer to God on a a fire for uh, for the atonement of your sin, for forgiveness. And The Lord said, go, you know, if you're bringing a sheep, bring the best sheep in your flock. If you're bringing a bull, bring the best bull in the flock. So you would bring your very best and you would offer that to the Lord. So Solomon's first move as a young king is to go worship, to seek the Lord and to worship him and to ask for his help. So he brings a burnt offering, but guess how many he brings? 
God required one. He, did he bring one? Yes, but more. He brought, was it two? No. Ten? No. A hundred? No. <laughs> and you start thinking about the logistics here. This is, this is time and this is the best of his flock. 200? No. 500? No. He brought a thousand times what God had required of him. And you know, I think that reveals his heart. God, it's not that God needs our offerings, but I think Solomon was just responding to God's grace and saying, God, you, you've asked me to bring one, but here's my gratitude. I want to give you a thousand. And it's out of that, the very next verse, it says, that night, the Lord said to Solomon, ask me whatever you wish, and I'll give it to you. I think it moved God's heart. And as we come to the Lord this coming week, as we prepare for Thanksgiving, but as we come next Sunday as well with our offerings, what matters most is our heart, just overflowing with gratitude for what we have in Christ. And you know, you think about what Solomon had in earthly kingdom. We have so much more, don't we? As in Christ... Remember Jesus said, um, don't be afraid, little flock, for the Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And we have an inheritance that is beautiful beyond imagination. The one who died for us is preparing a place for us. And if you were to close your eyes right now and think about the most wonderful place, kids, think about like, you know, I don't know where your head goes, Disney or somewhere like that. Mm -mm. What the Lord's preparing for us far exceeds our wildest dreams. In Christ, we are forever loved. There will never be a day that you walk out, wake up, go out of, walk out of your house where you have to wonder, is the living God loving me every step of my, my day? Never be a day you have to worry about being forever protected and safe in his care. You are safe. You are immortal until he calls you home. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. My needs are met into eternity. How good is that? He's given us victory over our greatest enemy, which is our own sin within us. The evil without or outside of us has no power as we live in his power. And he's given us the capacity to be forever one with the people we love as those around us come to faith in Christ. And, and we know this life is just a, a glimpse of what we'll get to share together forever. Is your heart starting to fill up with gratitude? <laughs> and so we want to uh, just bring him our very best hearts of worship next week. And so as we open his word, let's pray. Father, we do just praise you for all that you've given us. And in this moment, we're thinking about your daily, the daily bread that you give us through your word. And we thank you for how you nourish our soul day by day and week by week, through your word. And as we open it now, we just pray that you would prepare our hearts to receive it. Holy Spirit, that you would just illuminate what we need to see and then empower us to live it out for your glory. And we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. All right, well, we are in this one thing I do series. The book of Philippians is what we're working through. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church family in Philippi, and today's message is really the heart and the soul of, of this entire message series, and we're going to see what lights Paul's passion. As, as we think about that, we'll be in Philippians chapter 3. What is it that lights you up? 
Like, what, what's your one thing, passion, or, or um, you know, if, when the conversation turns to this, all of a sudden you're in, you're talking, you're, you're engaged. This is the thing that, you know, all of a sudden time just kind of, you know, it, it either goes way too quick or, or you just lose track of time because you love it. You're, what's your passion? We were sitting across the table from a couple that we didn't know at a wedding reception a couple weeks ago, and the guy wasn't talking much until we found out that he was a basketball high school basketball coach of 45 years, still coaching, still loves the players, loves the game, had uh, coached three state championship teams, coached the, the Zeller brothers, if you know, Indiana basketball. And uh, when we found that out, we, we started lobbing up a few basketball questions, and all of a sudden this guy who was very quiet, became animated, and it was like this beautiful wedding barn just turned into a, a Hoosier gym. And, um, you know, he's, he can't, uh, you can't get a word in edgewise. Why? Lit him up. Basketball lit him up. What is it that lights Paul up? We're about to see his passion. Well, you can, uh, what we're going to do is start at the end of our text today, and then we're going to go back and work through the, the entire text. But the end of the text We'll begin reading in verse 12 through 14. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. And what's powerful about this text is it, it enables us to gain clarity or focus, clarity on, on what, to focus on what matters most, and then it, it's powerful to ignite our own passion to pursue what matters most in life. All right, so Paul is writing verse 12. He says, not that I have obtained all this, to which we say, all what? Or have already arrived at my goal. What's your goal? But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, which we say, what is that? Then he says, brothers and sisters, I do not, yet, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. To which we say again, what is it? But one thing I do... Feel his passion. This is my one thing. Forgetting what is behind, straining, sweating, sweat, sweat, bleed toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to which we say, what's the goal? To win the prize. What's the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus? Familiar text, but the question that hangs over this text is, what's he chasing? What's he pursuing? What's his one thing? Well, it's the upward call of God, the heavenward call of God, which we say, well, that's pretty much heaven and all the joys of heaven. So we, we often, or at least here's what I do. I'm like, I don't quite know what he's talking about, except I see this vague cloud of heavenly joy. So, but one thing I do know He's running towards it with everything he's got. So I'm not going to worry about the logistics. I'm going to just run. Let's run. Let's go. Right? And we leave this one thing in this vague, abstract cloud of heavenly joy. What if he's running towards something specific? Wouldn't it be important that we know it? If this is his one thing, what is the one thing? Well, I don't have time. we got to run. Right? Life's busy. Let's go. And we just, anyone else there? And for years, this passage, the prize, I'm like, I don't know quite know what the prize is, but it's worth running towards, so let's go. And, uh, but what's the prize? Well, this past week, I finally said, I'm going to get down and hogtie this question and uh, hound it to the ground, and if there is something specific, find it. 
So when there's an interpretive question, what is the prize? Where do we go looking for answers? Outside of Google. The context, right? The the immediate context. So we're going to go back, work through this text, looking for the answer. What's the prize? What's his one thing that he's chasing with everything he's got? We'll start in verse 1. Verse 1, he says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Just set your joy on the Lord. And we're going to joy in the book of Philippians is one of the themes. We're going to get into it next week and have a, it's going to be a revolution of joy next week. But he says, rejoice in the Lord, and it is no trouble for me to write these things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. And here Paul, loving these people, he's an educator. One of the rules of education is repetition, saying the same thing different ways. Evidently, he's written about this to them other times. But right here in verse 2, his tone changes, and this is where you can feel his passion begin to to, uh, ignite. He says, watch out for those dogs, for those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. In the original, in the Greek, it's literally, watch out, watch out, watch out. He's um, three times this building, and then he's saying these kind of, He's calling these people names, like these dogs and these evildoers and these mutilators of the flesh. What, what's going on? Who's in his view? Well, these are what he's seen, and the Philippian church would have seen this, the Judaizers. These are people who were Jews who would follow Paul around, and Paul would go in to teach the, the clear gospel of Jesus Christ. We receive a right standing before God, a relationship with the living God, forgiveness of our sin, not by what we do, but, what, but by what Christ did for us on the cross and our faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. It's not by works of righteousness that, that we get right with God. It's by what Christ did for us and our faith in Him alone. These guys would follow Paul around and say this. Yes, you need Christ, but before becoming a Christian, you also need to be a Jew. You need to submit to the law of Moses that, that was under the Old Covenant. You need to be circumcised. You need to do all these things that the law of Moses calls you to do. So it's Jesus plus. And Paul, this, to add Christ, or to add um, anything to Christ is to um, dilute the power of the gospel and to pervert it. And so Paul, he's lit up on this, and we can see why this is such a big deal. As he says in verse 3, for we who are the circumcision. Now, circumcision was a sign of the promise that God made to Abraham that that every uh, boy that was born was circumcised to remind the people God's going to keep his promise. He's saying here, the church is the circumcision. God has circumcised our hearts. We are the sign of the promise of the new covenant who serve God by his spirit. What's the the one, the primary mark of the new covenant is the the gift of the Holy Spirit who empowers us to serve the Lord, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. When he says flesh here, he's saying the flesh represents our human effort to be right with God. And every other human religion, that's we, we want to work our way to God and somehow become more loving and, and do the right things. And Paul's saying, I have no confidence in my ability to, to earn God's favor. But he does say, if someone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he lists his resume according to human human standards. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, 
in regard to the law of Pharisee. So he's listed his pedigree, but then he listed his performance. I was a Pharisee, one of 6,000 chosen people in Israel who not only kept the law, they kept the traditions around the law. These guys are all in, and he says, as for zeal, persecuting the church. So I didn't just keep the law. I was out enforcing it on other people. And as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But here it comes. He says, okay, you see this resume that I have? Whatever were gains to me, meaning these things that I thought made me right before God, I now consider them a loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You might circle that phrase in your Bible. Knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And then he goes on, I consider them garbage. And this term is that stuff that you put in your garbage that is just, you actually don't even leave it in your garbage. You seal up the garbage bag and take it out to the trash immediately. I consider these things, these things that I thought made me right before God, I consider them refuse, garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Why is this such a big deal to Paul? That they are adding human work to what the clear message of salvation through faith in Christ alone. The reason this is such a, a big deal to him is because it's, it's still a temptation for us to think that somehow we can please God by what we do in our own flesh. And we begin to chase the law or, or rules and regulations as a means of transformation and salvation and even to earn God's favor. And he's saying, no, no, no. The law can't change you. The law doesn't have power to change you. And he writes the book of Romans to say, the, 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 uh, the purpose of the law was to be a slave master, to lead you to a point of brokenness, to say, I'm broke and I need a Savior. And Jesus Christ comes as the Savior of the world, totally fulfilling the law in his life. He's the only human who ever led a perfect life, and then he went for us as our sacrifice and said, I will take their hit. All these other lawbreakers, I will take their hit. I will be their sacrifice of atonement. And everyone, no matter what you've done, who looks to Christ in faith, receives the forgiveness of sin, a right relationship with God that's forever. And then begins to follow him out of a love and devotion, not out of a legalistic guilt filled pursuit of pleasing God, but out of a devotion to Him. Does that make sense? The righteousness that we have in Christ comes in one way. It is by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ and what He did for us. And what that gives us is a relationship. A, 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 uh, we, we know God and it's out of that relationship that, that we're changed. So we say, okay, back to the question. What's the prize then, Paul? If you're not chasing the law and this religious system that you were chasing so hard, what are you chasing? Here it comes. You guys ready to get lit up? 
Anybody ready to get your focus clarified and your passion lit? Raise your hand if you're ready. All right, thank you. I got to know you guys are awake on this because this is so good. Verse 10. Here it is. What's his one thing? I want to know Christ. That's the gift. That's the treasure, you guys. I want to know Christ. That's the gospel. That we broken people and messed up people could step into a lifelong, eternity-long relationship with the living God, the most wonderful being in the universe, and walk with Him and know Him. This word know, it's not know about Him. This is not the study of a subject. This is to know a person like you know your best friend, your child, your husband, your wife. This, this word is about relationship, experiential, personal knowledge lived out through the everyday ups and downs of life. Paul's saying, my one thing, this prize, this thing that, that God took hold of me, that I might take hold of this, what is it? It's to know Christ. Remember when Jesus told that parable in Matthew 13, 44? And I love how Jesus could tell a story to stick in a sentence or two, and he does it here. He goes, here's what the kingdom of heaven's like. It's like a guy who finds a treasure in a field. And he goes and he sells everything he has. But there's a little word that, that just hits me. When he goes and sells everything he has so he can buy that field, how does he sell it? How would you sell your stuff? If you found a treasure in the field when you're out hunting this next week and like, okay, I got to go sell my house, my car, my, uh, all the stuff that I really like, my bike and my Xbox and all that stuff, I got to sell it so I can afford to buy this field. How would you sell your stuff? It'd be hard. It'd be, it'd be hard to part with, with my stuff. But how's this guy sell his stuff? In his joy. Why? Because he saw the surpassing worth of what was in that field. Paul's saying, he's the guy. He's saying, all this stuff that I have in life, I don't care. You name the treasure. It could be success. It could be accomplishment. It could be relationships. It could be pile on the treasures. It is nothing. It is refuse. I've tied it up in a trash bag, put it out in the trash, compared with this gift I have of living my life in the embrace of Jesus Christ. Amen. Guys, that's it. <laughs> that's the treasure. And that's why he says, now, have I attained all this? Am I as close to him as I want to be? No. But I'll tell you this. I forget what's behind. I got no successes and failures. Forget what's behind. I'm pressing on toward what's, what's ahead. And I'm going to sweat, sweat, bleed to live each day in his presence so that the mark of success in a day is not, hey, how do I do at the job? How do I do at this, that, the other? How, did, did everybody like me? The mark of success in the day is, did I get to know Jesus Christ a little better? And I can tell you that's the fountain of joy, isn't it? He says, um, he amplifies, what's this look like to know Christ? He says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. What's he mean by that phrase, the power of his resurrection? And this is what's really important, you guys. 
In the spiritual life, we don't change ourselves, nor do we in our power help the people around us. But this is where it gets exciting. It ain't you, it ain't me that's beating in the, the power by which we live. We live by his power, and it's the power of the resurrection. Ephesians chapter 1, he says, I pray that your eyes would be open to see the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that's beating in your life and in your soul. So here's the thing. How do you, be, how do you change to be like Christ? Live with a pure love for him? There's only one place, and that's as you get to know him. And as you step into a relationship with him, it's in his presence. He changes us. But not only does he change us just so we will become like him, but so that his power will flow through us to the people around us. It's like, how am I going to love this person or, or be adequate to this task or help this person or that person? As you know him, he transforms you, purifies your love, and then he empowers you to go out, little you, little me, and step into the forces of darkness and bring life and bring hope and bring love and bring transformation. The body of Christ, it's you and me knowing him and then together getting it done for his glory. And you can't stop that. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't stop it. It won't stop. And we get to be part of it. Does that make sense? This is our confidence. It's resurrection power. So Paul says, forget the law. I want to know him so that his power will be beating in my soul and flowing through my life. And then that I would share in the fellowship of his suffering. What's this mean? Okay, guys, old covenant. If you followed God, you got blessed with material blessings. Promises that. And that's where sometimes prosperity gospel today, it gets confused. Old covenant, there is a passage that says, if you follow God, he's going to bless you financially. It's not true for us. Under the new covenant, what do we get? A cross. But we've already got our inheritance, and we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, and we already have the treasure, which is him. So, we take up our cross and we suffer sacrificially as we lay down our will to serve the people around us. And, and the neatest thing about that, and you felt this as you've done that, it feels like dying because we're dying to ourselves. But when you do it, who meets you there in that suffering? The Lord does. And we share a fellowship with Him. He said this in John 13. He said, Guys, I'm going to, He washed their feet. Right? And then what did he say at the end of it? Just how, how I lived, you live, and you will be blessed if you do this. And it's the craziest thing. It's the paradox of a dirty bowl of water and some dirty feet. Joy is in this bowl of water? That's where joy is at. And it's just like our God who's bigger than, you know, you can go get pleasure, go get treasures, go get stuff, go get all this stuff, and it will leave you empty. Can I get an amen to somebody who's been there worn out by pleasure? But I'll tell you this, you go serve, we go, as we go serve in the power of Christ, in his name, lay down our lives, even with sweat, sweat, blood. And there's joy in that that you can't explain. But it's his fellowship. Paul tasted it and he wants some more. He's in prison, he's been beaten. So I want to share in the fellowship of your sufferings. This is what I'm chasing. This is what I'm pursuing So what do we do with this? What's the takeaway? The uh, two things. 
as we reflect on this truth and we, as we allow this truth to, to change us is first that we would allow Paul's one thing passion to know Christ to clarify our focus on what matters most as we do life this week. Of all the things that you focus on and you chase, and we're called to chase lots of things. We have to chase our stuff at our jobs, stuff at home. But will this be your one thing this week? And that's the challenge. That above all, all these other things are important and good, but above all, the metric for a successful day is, Lord, did I get to know you better? And what that does is it moves success out of circumstances. That day could be great, it could be horrible, but knowing him, we can know him in the ups and the downs. And in fact, sometimes in the downs, we know him even better than the ups. Second takeaway, second action step. May this truth and may Paul's one thing, passion, stoke our own passion. Like what, what fires you up and gets you going? And that, that we would just pray, Lord, let this passion that Paul had to pursue you be my passion as well. You know, the, uh, if I could, just to stoke our passion a little bit here, reread this with clarity now. And it says in verse 12, Not that I have already obtained all this, knowing you, Christ, or have already arrived at my goal to, to know Christ fully, but I press on to take hold of that, this relationship that I've been given, for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, yet to have known Christ fully, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward this goal. You know, as I think motivation or, or what ignites my passion most as I read those verses is the part that says, I want to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And I just picture the grace of God what did we do to deserve this relationship with our Lord? That, that our eyes would be open to the beauty of the gospel and understand it and to step into this knowing Him. We did absolutely nothing. God, in His grace, took hold of us. When we were dead in our sin and our spiritual life dead, He made us alive so that we might respond in faith. And it just fires me. Am I going to... Take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He made this relationship possible. Am I living to uh, experience it? The uh, five diagnostic questions that can help us live this out and as we think through this, the first one is, is my passion to be known, that people would know my name, or is it to know Him? The first pursuit is so frustrating. The second pursuit is, Pure joy, isn't it? I think most of us would say, you know, actually, I'm not really too concerned about my name. I'm good. Until someone else around you has their name elevated, someone at work gets the, the accolade or the promotion, or someone on the team, the coach notices them, then they say, wait a minute, what about my name? But how sweet, simplifying is it to say, you know what, doesn't matter if anyone knows my name, my one thing is to know him, the one who knows my name, and him knowing my name makes it all good. <laughs> How could it get better? <laughs> 
Second question, do I want to be in power? Control my life? Control those around me? Control, or do I want to experience his resurrection power transforming me and transforming others? Isn't that a cool thought? Remember Peter at the end when he's like, Jesus, what kind of death am I going to die? And am I going to live a long time? And Jesus is like, here's the death you're going to die, Peter. You're going to have to let someone else lead you around. You're going to have to release your power and experience that. But it's in understanding we, we, we don't have to hold on to the power, the resurrection power of Christ transforming us and then transforming those around us is, is where the joy is at as we know him in that relationship. Second, third, am I playing it safe or am I committed to suffer as I lay down my life in service of others? And the goal of security and just organizing our life so that we're safe and secure is, is not the call of Christ. And a couple weeks ago, I had a circumstance where I was, had to reckon with death. And maybe you have those moments, like if you get on an airplane or something like that, where all of a sudden you're like, okay, is all my stuff in order? And my wife, kids good, and everything good to go. And then say, okay, if, if the opportunity arises, I'm charging it. And the... Uh, as I thought about that, just like, okay, I'm, I'm reckoning with death. I thought there's a group among us, soldiers, that we honored on Veterans Day, our police officers, as well as our firefighters. That's their daily reckoning. When they wake up and go to work to answer that call, they're like, if, if it's game on the line, I'll lay my life down to protect those under my care. I've taken an oath. As followers of Christ, that's when the Lord said, take up your cross, it's what he's calling us to, to be willing to sacrificially suffer out of love for those around us, putting them first. It's Philippians chapter 2. And then the fourth question, is my one thing passion to know, or if my one thing passion is to know Christ, what am I doing to invest in my relationship? What's the practical habit in my life? And we're, this year we're on our one thing initiative um, encouraging all of us to, to have a daily meeting, a weekly Sabbath, and an annual retreat with the Lord where we just invest in this relationship and encourage you to, to commit to that if you haven't done that yet. And then the fifth question, am I seeing the finish line joy of just being with Him forever? And Paul, it's interesting here, in this text as you read on in Philippians 3 as well as really all throughout Philippians, he's calling us to press on after the Lord, but he has his eye on the finish line, that finish line joy of, of ultimately being with the Lord and all that will mean. So what's Paul's one thing, passion? What's his thing that gets him fired up? It's to know Christ. And, and the calling of God on our lives today is to allow this, his one thing, passion, to be our passion, to, to uh, ignite a passion within us, to clarify our focus on what matters most in life. And Maybe you're here today and you've been listening to this and like, John, I really, I don't have a relationship with, with Christ. I, I don't know what that means. And, would, and I would invite you to, to step into that relationship. It's a faith relationship where we understand who he is and what he did for us on the cross, taking our sin to the cross and then trusting him with that, believing that the only way that I can receive the forgiveness of my sin and be right with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. 
And we'd love to walk alongside of you and help you um, understand that. And after the end of the service, feel free to come up and we'll talk and pray. But if you're sensing God nudging you that direction, may I encourage you to take that step. It's the most important relationship in life. It was so fun to, to cheer on Seth and Wes at the uh, Monumental Marathon last weekend. And to see these guys, they, uh, it was cold, but they wake up early before dark, or before the sun comes up. They hit the cold. They ran like warrior poets through the uh, mile number 20 where they just smashed that, uh, that wall that hits you psychologically and, and uh, physically. And I had, or uh, just to get us in, in the moment, here's a picture. This is Wes at the start. This, uh, this clip, it's a bit like, uh, where's Waldo? And see if you can find him here cruising along. He is trash bag looking happy, happy, happy. <laughs> See that spring in his step. And then here's, here's uh, Seth. This is mile five. He's the Kenyan of the Midwest training in the cornfields. Looking like a white-tailed deer right there. Smooth. You put a uh, plate of fried chicken taters on his head, it'd be there at the end of the race. Just so smooth. But anyway, it was fun. Um, I was on my bike and, and hitting these guys every five miles. And just seeing their, the progress. But the moment for me was mile 25. I found a spot where not a lot of people were to be cheering them on and just seeing them pushing through the pain, pressing on, straining toward what's ahead, that finish line. And really this picture Paul uses of a race and this, just this journey of times when our bodies don't want to go but our spirit calls us to go. But the moment for me as they came running by, I had a... Pulled over there, and I'm clapping kind of a little on the chilled side until I saw the impact of a, a word of encouragement to the runners. And it was powerful to watch at that point when they're just feeling the pain to see what just my message was really simple. Hey, you're almost home. Up around the corner, there's nothing but hugs and finish line. Keep on. Press on. You're almost home. And you could see it. That they're... Um, They'd look up and like, really? And, and, oh, thumbs up, thank you. You could see those walking would sometimes step and start to run. You could see their body language. And by the end of it, Seth and Wes had gone on. I didn't want to leave. I'm just, and I was in it with them. This text from one of our runners, Paul, is, is through Paul. The Lord is saying to you and to I, it's a word of encouragement and hope. Press on. Press on. This life, yes, it's hard. But don't stop and, and press on towards the prize, the goal, and be clear on it. It's not earthly stuff. It's this treasure of knowing Christ. Because you guys, one day soon, this, this race is going to be over. This is going to be a blip, right? But we have the opportunity in this context, under the curse, we won't have this opportunity once we cross the finish line to run through some pain for the one who ran through pain for us. So don't quit. Don't worry about what's behind you, but press on to what's ahead. Keep your eyes on Him, the treasure of knowing Him, and run on. Run on. Amen? Therefore, my brothers and sisters, one thing I do. Here's my metric for success. I press on to take hold of the prize 
towards the goal to take hold of the prize, the upward call of God, which is one day we cross that finish line, we enter the embrace of the one who died for us. Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word of encouragement to us today. We need it. We need it because it's hard down here. But I thank you, Jesus, that you promised to walk this race with us, to run this race with us, to never leave us or forsake us. And so I just lift up my brothers and sisters here today, Lord, wherever we are in our race, that that these words that you've given us would be words of clarifying our focus on what matters most, but also igniting a passion to just live close to you, Lord. That we might know the power of your resurrection that beats in our own heart, transforms us, and then empowers us to serve the people around us, and that we might know the fellowship of suffering with you. We love you, Lord, and we can't wait to cross the finish line and be with you, but in the meantime, help us to be faithful. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.